What if I told you that Jesus didn't just come to bring peace, but division? Now, when we think about the baby Jesus at this time of year, right, we often think of words like peace. We sing about him being uh, tender and mild. Uh, you know, of course, he laid down his sweet head. Uh, we're told by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be the prince of peace. When the angels show up to the shepherds uh, at the first Christmas, uh, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. I swear this time of year, everybody, if you look at their decorations, if it's like not Santa Claus or Rudolph, it just says like joy, hope, and peace. But what if I told you that Jesus came not just to bring peace, but division? Now, if you think I'm crazy or you think I'm uh, making this up, let's uh, open up our Bibles together because we're going to read uh, something kind of fascinating this morning. Uh, if there's a Bible under every chair, we're going to be on page 846, uh, or uh, you can access it on the Renovation Church app. You just uh, tap Bible and weekly verses. Uh, we as a church are going verse by verse, passage by passage, uh, through the book of Luke in the Bible, which is one of four books in the Bible about the life and teachings of Jesus. And we're going to look at one of the teachings of Jesus Christ this morning. In fact, this is going to be him talking. So page 846, uh, look at what he says. This will be fascinating. So this is Luke chapter 12, uh, and we are starting at verse 49. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. But division. From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two. And two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Okay, right? Some of these teachings of Jesus are quite hard, particularly in this section of the Bible. Okay, so let's tackle the first two verses first, if you still have it in front of you. Okay, so Jesus says some tough things right away. He says, he has come to bring fire on the earth and how he wishes it were already kindled. Okay, fire, wherever you see that in the Bible, a lot in the Old Testament and some at the end of the New Testament, a fire is a symbol of divine judgment. Okay, so why does Jesus want the fire to already be kindled? Uh, There are really two reasons here. Uh, Firstly, uh, the final judgment. So at the end of the earth, the final judgment is going to lead to the cleansing of all things. It'll be an eradication of sin and evil from the earth as we get to live in a new heaven and a new earth. So many people believe Jesus is referring to his, his anticipation of that. But secondly, Jesus is also speaking of the divine judgment that is coming upon himself. So not long from this time, the wrath of God is for our sins is going to come upon Jesus himself on the cross. And he's willing to take that wrath for us, but he's ready to get it over with, right? He wishes it were already kindled because it's going to be difficult. And then look at the next verse, verse 50. He says that he's under constraint until it's all completed. That means he's under a heavy burden. He's under, you know, a lot of uh, duress. And 
he says he has to undergo a, a baptism, but this is going to be a baptism of judgment. Now, this is kind of a curious phrase. We don't speak like this a lot. Usually, we only think of water baptism when we think of the word baptism. But Jesus has already been baptized in the water early on in the book. So the word baptism, you know what that word means? That to, to, to baptize, to be baptized in something, is to be completely immersed in something. And so Jesus is going to be completely immersed. He's going to be submerged in God's holy and fiery judgment on our sin. And why would he do that? He's going to do that because he loves you. He's crazy about you. He's going to die in your place on the cross for your sin and take the holy wrath of God. Even though he feels the heavy burden of it, and he's under such constraint, he's going to do it. And then this passage takes a really interesting turn. This is verse 51. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? The Prince of Peace, right? It's Christmas time. No, I tell you, but division. And Jesus goes on, and he talks about how families are going to be divided. Now, unless you've lived through this in your own family, and some of you have, this can feel kind of hard to understand at first glance. I believe it actually makes a little bit more sense if we turn also to the Gospel of Matthew. So there's a passage in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus says almost verbatim the exact same thing as our passage that we just read, and then he, he expounds on it a little further. So if you look in Matthew chapter 10, I'll put it up on the screen for you, of verse 37, this is what he's sort of adding to the same teaching. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, Jesus, because he's the son of God, he's the savior, he died in your place, he demands your full allegiance. He wants to be number one in your life. And when people actually make Jesus their number one, and their number one is not their family, and it's not their job, it's not their government, when that happens, division naturally occurs. See, I think many Americans are just in dire need of actually reading about Jesus Christ in the scriptures. We need to get the Bible into the hands of Americans again. Because I think to many Americans today, Jesus is simply, in their minds, this tranquil, nice guy who's walking around uh, spreading uh, peace and love. Like, Jesus is closer to a hippie than he is the Son of God in a lot of people's minds. But listen, the real Jesus was polarizing. People either loved Jesus or they hated Jesus. There was no in-between. I mean, I just want you to think about this intellectually, about who Jesus is. They murdered Jesus. They literally got out hammers and pounded nails through his body. Is anyone doing that to hippie Jesus? Who's just walking around, spreading peace and love, telling everyone they can live however they want to live. Is that guy getting murdered? No way. Never. 
See, in actuality, people have a hard time with Jesus because Jesus demands that he, the Son of God, the Savior, be their number one. And that's why people have had such a hard time with Jesus all throughout history. I was talking to my kids the other day, uh, and we were talking about the persecution that is really increasing in China again. Uh, Really, really increased, if you've been watching this in the news, the last 12 or 18 months. In fact, in many places now in China, they are forbidding children um, from attending churches until they reach the age of 18, and thus have been properly educated by the government first. Uh, The Chinese government is shutting down house churches uh, all around the country. In fact, I just read an article two weeks ago about how uh, the Chinese government is even now uh, monitoring a cell phone texting for Christian words. And you can kind of see where this is going. And I was talking to my kids about this, and they were saying, "But, but who would be against Christians? Like, why would anyone be against Jesus? And they just couldn't, you know, it was hard for them in their brains to sort of reconcile how that could happen. Now, I'm not sure that they understood what I thought was a fine lesson on totalitarianism that I gave to them (laughs) at age six. Uh, (laughs) But here's the deal. No dictator wants any part of a people who have a higher allegiance than himself. And thus, Jesus always brings division in societies like that. But this can happen uh, on a family level, right here in America even. Now listen, it's not like Jesus doesn't bring a message of peace. All those things about him being the Prince of Peace are true, because if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior into your life, he will absolutely bring peace into your life, a peace like you have never known. But it's that his message of peace often creates division between those who accept it and those who don't. So let me give you some examples of how this uh, actually creates division in our families, because that's the example that Jesus uses in verses 52 and 53. He says, what's going to happen is families will be divided, father against son, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Okay, so first example. Uh, Let's say uh, you become a new believer in Christ, like many of you have over the last couple of years, and you begin to study, study the Bible, and you discover that nowhere in the Bible doesn't mention that infants should be baptized. And you read in the New Testament that baptism is actually something where people should be immersed in water, and then after they start a personal relationship with Christ, that's when they're baptized. And so you read this and you feel compelled, like, okay, this is what the Bible actually teaches about baptism. But you live in Minnesota, not in the Bible Belt. So many of you grew up Lutheran and Catholic, and you know that if you are to obey God's word, it will offend your father or mother who baptized you as an infant. So what are you going to do? Most people especially in our conflict-averse Minnesota nice culture, we choose peace over obedience. We worship the idol of peace. And rather than put Jesus and our loyalty to him first, we put peace and we put our family members first. We obey them not the teaching of the Son of God. But remember what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 37. Anyone, and apply it to this, apply it to this. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Listen listen to me. Following Jesus sometimes will just naturally create division in your life. Let me give you another example. Okay, let's say you have a teenager or maybe even an adult child. And let's say they're making poor choices with their life. They're just really going down the wrong path, but they think that it's all fine. Maybe even society has told them, ah, it's not a big deal. It's fine. But you know that they are veering from God's word. They are veering from God's will for their life. But you kind of also know emotionally that if you talk to them about it and you just, you plead with them to just obey God again and follow God again, you know it's going to create division. Right? They may even break relationship with you if you call them to obey God. So what do we do? Many of you are in this exact situation right now in your life. What do we do? Well, most of us, especially in Minnesota, we choose the idol of peace. I think a lot of Christian parents take this sort of awkward middle ground where we, we just say nothing. Uh, There are others that flip completely to the other side and they tell their children that I support your actions, whatever they may be. And they choose their kids over Jesus. Even though Jesus said, if you love me, it is going to just naturally create division, even in your family. Look at the end of Matthew 10, 37 again. It says, anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, let me clarify here. It's not Jesus' hope to create division in your family. He doesn't crave division. He doesn't want division. His hope is that everyone may be saved. That everyone may find him and find life. But Jesus is describing a fact of life if he's your number one. If he's truly your number one, then yes, sometimes division will occur. See, the truth is, all of us are going to come across moments that are going to reveal whom we love more, Jesus or peace. And the truth is, most of us are only ever going to have to suffer minor discomfort if we choose Jesus over peace. I think I mentioned a couple months ago this summer, uh, I read the fantastic uh, biography of Nabil Qureshi. It's it's called uh, Seeking Allah finding a Jesus. If you're looking for something to read uh, over Christmas or in January, I highly recommend it. Uh, Qureshi uh, was a, a very, very devout Muslim who grew up in this loving Muslim home. But he had a friend who shared Christ with him, and he began to investigate Islam, his own religion, and he began to investigate Christianity, and he started to contemplate, should I give my life to Jesus Christ? But he knew as a devout Muslim, that if he gave his life to Jesus, that would basically, that one decision, would basically cut him off from his family forever, permanently. They wouldn't talk again. And not only so, his decision wouldn't just have ramifications for himself. If he decided to give his life to Christ, it would create incredible shame and embarrassment for his parents, whom he loved, in their Islamic community. That their son gave his life to Christ. His decision to obey God would bring no peace at all to his family. Would only create division. It's an extremely painful decision. 
but he knew that his first allegiance was to the Son of God who died in his place. And he gave his life to Christ. See, most of us aren't going to face choices that require that level of sacrifice. And yet we are still so drawn to this idol of peace. I don't know, maybe it's our aversion to conflict uh, here in the Midwest. Uh, Or maybe it's that we just don't understand the type of allegiance that Jesus is talking about. I think that's partially it. When Jesus says, I want to be your all, I think a lot of us as American Christians think, oh, oh, that's great, and I will conveniently fit you into my life when it works. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he says, I want to be the Lord of your life. Let me give you another example. Uh, nowadays, as uh, American Christians, uh, people miss church all the time, right? Like, if we get to church 30 times a year, we're like, that is a win. You know, they, it, 50 years ago, they would have been praying for your soul, right? For, for 1,950 years around most of the world, and this is still true in most of the world, you never miss church, right? Ever. Because, and it helped, right? Because the culture around you and this is what we've lost in our country. But the culture around you said, yes, spiritual things take priority. But that's not obvious in our culture anymore. And so today, if you've signed your kid up for uh, hockey or soccer or marching band or whatever it may be, then let's say Sunday morning church or a youth group event and it's camp or a mission strip or a Wednesday night, let's say it conflicts with your sport. What do we do in America? We prioritize our commitment to the team, to the coach. We prioritize our commitment to the team over our commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, this is a complex issue, okay? But I will tell you that at least one of the reasons that we prioritize activities over Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is because we know that it would be a loss of peace if we were not to attend said activity or game. Right? The, okay, so let's say you're in a tournament on the weekend, championship is Sunday morning, church is Sunday morning. You know that if you don't show up, like the coach is going to be upset. Some of the other parents are going to be upset. The team members are going to be upset. It's a loss of peace. And we crave peace. We worship it, even. And so we continue to choose our human relationships over our relationship with Jesus. And you want to know what's happening, church? The world around us, they can't even tell we're different anymore. But remember the words of verse 51. Jesus says that he has come to bring division. In other words, we should look different. If we're not marching to a different beat of priorities, how will the world even notice that we're different? In the Matthew passage, uh, right after Jesus says, anyone who loves their earthly relationships more than me is not worthy of me, he says this, verse 38. He says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, okay, if you're going to put me ahead of your activities, ahead of your friendships, ahead of your family, you're going to have to pick up your cross. It's going to be sacrificial. It's going to be hard. But it will reveal who is first in your life. 
I think sometimes this, this can all be confusing, especially when we talk about issues that affect our family. Because we want to say, but isn't family really important? Like, isn't my relationship with my spouse and my parents, that's really important stuff. Like, let me give you an example where those two things, family and God, both seem to come in, and they both seem really important. Okay, what if you feel God calling you to go on a missions trip? Like, three weeks from today, we're actually going to unveil the dates for our summer missions trip uh, to Rwanda, which is an incredibly powerful and effective trip. Okay, what if you feel God calling you to go? But then your spouse says to you, I don't really want you to go. Because you would be gone for 10 or 11 days, and I would be here with our two or three kids all by myself, and that's just, you know, our family comes first. I don't want you to go. What are you going to do? Or you feel called to go, and you, you're thinking about your kids. You're thinking, ah, if I was gone for 10 or 11 days, my kids would really need me. But I feel like God's calling me. What do you do? Well, who should be first in your life? What does the scripture say? As Jesus Christ. If he's calling you to go, then is he really first? It's like we, we, we use this sort of language like, oh, Jesus is my number one. Uh, he's the most important in my life. But when the rubber really hits the road and your calendar conflicts with Jesus or your family conflicts with Jesus, who's really number one in your life? Uh, Pastor David Guzik says it this way, and I think this is really helpful to untangle this. He says, the greatest danger of idolatry comes not from what is bad, but from what is good, like love and family relationships. The greatest danger to the best comes from second best. Uh, I've mentioned uh, this before, but... uh, Definitely the best book that I've read in the last couple of years, uh, maybe ever, uh, is To the Golden Shore, which is the story of the very first American missionary, Adoniram uh, Jumpson. Uh, he and the missionaries that follow him, and this takes place kind of in the first half of the 19th century, uh, they brought the gospel to uh, Burma, uh, which is now Myanmar. And as the missionaries got there and their families began to settle in, one of the things that tragically began to happen is their children all started to die. Because, I mean, the conditions there were uh, incredibly difficult. Uh, the diseases were, were new to them. And honestly, there weren't doctors within hundreds of hundreds of miles of where they were. And so they, they get to this point, and they're sort of facing the, facing the facts. And they realize that if their remaining children were ever to survive, they had two options. Option number one, they could abandon the mission and they could all go home as a family and their children would live, live to adulthood, and they would be safe. But then the millions of people there in Burma would perish without the gospel. Or option number two, they could send their children home on a ship and have their children be raised by the grandparents at home for the next 10 years or so, while they stayed in Burma and shared the gospel with the Burmese people. What would you do? (laughs) I think I know what most of us as Americans would do. 
we'd go home with our kids. We would choose peace. We would choose safety. That's the new American way. Safety. But it wasn't the way of the first American missionaries. You know what they did? They tearfully sent their kids home on a ship. And you know what? Today, there are millions, millions of Burmese Christians because they stayed. They didn't worship the idol of peace and the idol of safety. You know what? By the way, many of their kids whom they sent home actually grew up to become incredible missionaries and pastors and leaders because they saw in their parents something that was worth living for. Is Jesus even worth living for to our kids today? Like, oh, hey, you got something going on. I guess you got soccer. I guess you got this. Never mind. We'll get to church. People sacrificed. And their kids saw Christ as worth living for. You know, many of us are going to be face-to-face with this idol of peace even in the next two or three days over Christmas. Like, do you talk to your brother-in-law about Christ? Or your uncle or your grandmother that doesn't know him? Do you invite them to church? Do you share the gospel with them? Most of us, we decide not to. And why don't we? Because we know that if we do, we could lose the peace in our family. A peace that seems to, quite often in most of our families, be hanging by a thread, right? But I want you to think eternally like many of these people have that I'm telling you about today. I'm going to speak the spiritual truth that we all know inside of us, but we don't even like to say out loud because it disturbs the peace of our mind. Is the temporary peace in your family you've kind of been holding on to because you don't want to disturb anyone, you don't want to make everyone upset, is that truly preferable to your family member suffering in hell for all of eternity? Why would we choose that? That's because as American Christians, particularly Midwestern American Christians, we bow down prostrate at the idol of peace. And we make our life choices around that, not our Savior. But you can only bring true life to a person. You can only bring true peace to a person if you're willing to risk the possibility of division. Where is it in your life that the Holy Spirit is just telling you this morning that you just need to choose obedience over peace? Uh, Joseph Stowell, who uh, he was a longtime president at Moody Bible Institute, uh, he once... Uh, told of a story that he had uh, where he had a conversation uh, with an old-time pastor who used to pastor in the former Soviet Union. And this pastor said to him that uh, during uh, Stalin's tyrannical reign that uh, one time two KGB agents uh, came to his door and they said, hey, here's the deal. You can stay the pastor of your church, but what, you're, what we're going to need you to do is report to us, the communist agents, at least once a week, on all the activities of these Christian people in your church. Now again, if you're that pastor, what do you do? 
Right? Because if he doesn't, they could take him away from his family. They could kill him. Right? There's no peace if he says he won't work for them. But he can disobey God and have all the peace he wants, just reporting on the Christians. What would you do? Well, he said to the communist agents, he said, I can't do that. I can't do that to God. I can't do that to my flock. And so they repaid him by sending him to a prison camp in Siberia. And for 10 years, he was separated from his family, working in forced labor in the cold. And he, he told uh, Stowell, the Moody, the Moody Bible president, he said, you know, basically for 10 years, um, Stalin had us just going around the region of uh, Siberia, just doing carpentry work. We were building towns for him. He said, but it's so crazy because while we were out, there were many of us that met each other in prison and we were Christians and we had such a close fellowship. And while we were out in these different towns, we had a measure of freedom. And so we were sharing the gospel with people. We were finding other Christians in these towns and encouraging them, teaching them how to pastor. And he said, what happened was plenty of churches actually got started. In fact, today in Siberia, there are hundreds of churches that started as a result of these prisoners being spread around the region. I see, we have to trust in obeying God, trust in his plan, even if it would mean the absence of peace. I, I, just, I don't want to stand up here this morning and say, okay, if you obey God, uh, it's going to make your family life uh, better. Uh, yes, in many cases it will, uh, particularly if everyone's following Christ. I mean, that could really improve your marriage, uh, your friendships. But in some cases, it won't improve the family dynamics. Your obedience will actually cause division. But let me just say this to you, American Christians. If you are only coming to God so that he'll improve your marriage and family, don't you see that your marriage and your family is your God? not God. Or maybe peace and happiness is your God. And when the scriptures call you to put Jesus Christ as the real number one in your life, when the rubber hits the road, when you've got to pick up your cross and it's hard, when the scriptures call you to put Jesus as number one, remember whom you're choosing. Like, I don't want anyone to walk out of here today and say, all right, Okay, I guess I'm going to work harder on just obeying this demanding God in my life. If you do that, you've completely missed the message of this passage. As Christians, we are able to put Jesus first because he put us first. In fact, he loves us with a love that far surpasses even the love of our family members. I sometimes will ask my kids, I'll say, who loves you the most? And they'll say, not you. <laughs> Pass the theology quiz. I'll say, who does? They'll say, it's God. Right? What am I doing? I'm creating true allegiance, a true number one. Jesus has a love for you that endured the very fire of God's judgment. The fire of God can burn up pretty much anything Accept Jesus' love for you. Okay, you might have to go through some things to follow him, but I guarantee you, you will never give up more than he gave up to save you. You'll never suffer more than he suffered in his love for you. 
See, and it's when you understand how much he was willing to suffer for you, when you understand how deep his love is for you, then you're willing to suffer for him. And finally take that idol of peace, put it on the shelf, and put him first. As a way to just remember his love for us, uh, this morning uh, we're going to take communion together. Uh, Here's how uh, the Gospel of Luke, this book we've been studying for so long, here's how it describes the Last Supper of Jesus. It says, And he, Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. It's a way that we remember his love. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. His love for you is so great that he let his body be broken and his blood poured out for you. The Bible also warns us that whenever we take communion, that number one, that we ought not to do it in vain. In other words, if, if you, you're here this morning, you're sort of exploring Christianity, you wouldn't say, I you wouldn't say that you're a follower of Jesus, then you just wait. Then this isn't for you yet. And that's okay. We're just happy that you're here. And secondly, for those of you that are believers in Jesus, is you don't just get up and do this to do this. His body was broken for you. And you just take a minute to just let that sink in. And so there are uh, two tables kind of in the back, and then there are two up here in the front pieces of bread uh, with a bowl of juice. And so whenever you're ready uh, during this last song of worship, uh, you can get up, you just take a piece of bread, uh, dip it in the juice, and serve yourself uh, communion. Uh, If you'd like to pray while you're up, our prayer team will be in the back at the light. They would love to pray for you. You're already up. We all got stuff going on in our lives. Have somebody pray for you uh, this morning. Uh, We just really want you to encounter God and to experience his love in this service. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have our, our final worship song in communion. Lord Jesus, uh, help us uh, let go of this idol of peace that we just clutch onto uh, so tightly. God, may we sacrifice for you and pick up our cross for you in putting you first, even when it's hard. And may the world see it, God. May the world see it and may they ask questions. God, may, may through our different lives, may they, may they come to you and may they find that peace that you give us. We just worship you now for your love. It's your name we pray. Amen.